Warning, this episode will include mentions and or discussions of emotional abuse, kidnapping, pregnancy, childbirth, miscarriages, abortion, and mental illness. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the KAR Recap. I'm your host, Kristen Rhoda. I'm an English and music student who loves discovering, reading, and exploring old and new works of literature, television, and film. This podcast is partnered with my Instagram blog, KAR. After about two to three weeks or so of reading a chosen novel or watching a chosen TV show or movie, I discuss the plot, background, characters, and certain themes and other literary devices that stuck out to me. So if you enjoyed the work, or even if you didn't like it, let's just talk. If you haven't read the book or watched a movie or TV show, please know that this episode contains spoilers. Remember, I'm just as curious as you are, so there's no right or wrong here, just learning and some healthy discussion. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, I consider all great works of literature, film, and television to be works of art. Especially if it's a Hulu original miniseries called The Little Fires Everywhere. (laughs) That's right, everybody. We're talking about all things secrets, racism, classism, sexism, and motherhood. And also fire, because we can't talk about Little Fires Everywhere without talking about fire. But we'll get to that later. Little Fires Everywhere is based off the novel with the same title by Celeste Ng, who was also one of the producers of the show. I wasn't able to read the novel, but hopefully I will soon. The show was directed by the late Lynn Shelton and released in March 2020. It mainly stars Kerry Washington and Reese Witherspoon, who are two of the producers as well. Listen, if you want to talk about brilliant acting, casting, production, and visuals, this is your show. So let's talk about why it's so amazing. Since there's too much plot content to explain, I'm not doing a full summary today. So again, please be warned that there are spoilers in this episode. Now I'm going to go straight into the analysis since there are eight episodes, but first let me read you the premise from the general Wikipedia page. Little Fires Everywhere follows the intertwined fates of the picture-perfect Richardson family and an enigmatic mother and daughter who upend their lives. The story explores the weight of secrets, the nature of art and identity, the ferocious pull of motherhood, and the danger in believing that following the rules can avert disaster. Well, that sounds heavy, doesn't it? Well, it is. But for this episode, I'm just doing analysis. So let me go through a few notable things to watch out for. So first we've got irony and parallels. Now, one thing you'll learn from listening to this podcast is that I love me some irony. You can find a lot of it in this series. In this section, I'll also note some characterization because it's so strong in this show. Before I start though, I'm dropping the last friendly reminder that there are spoilers upon spoilers upon spoilers. And speaking as if you've already watched the show. Okay, back to irony and parallels. My personal favorite examples in the show are fairly simple, but they're so powerful. First, there's a parallel between B.B. Chow and Izzy Richardson. B.B. Chow, an Asian immigrant, while struggling to feed her child Mei Ling, goes to the corner store to buy formula, but is 70 cents short. Even after telling the clerk the baby hadn't eaten for weeks, the clerk kicks her out of the store. When Izzy gets on the bus after leaving the homecoming dance, She is also 70 cents short. 
but the bus driver lets her ride. For those who haven't seen the show, Izzy is a 14-year-old white girl from a rich family. Izzy is very aware of her privilege, but both of these moments are shown to show the difference between Izzy and Bibi. Another one of my favorite examples of irony or parallels in this show is in episode 5, entitled Duo. Duo is the title of a photograph of Mia Warren, nine months pregnant, sitting in a bathtub, her bump exposed. However, I love the title Duo because of some of the irony and a parallel. I like how in this episode, both Elena Richardson and her daughter Lexi are both called narcissist. Elena by Jamie for once again dragging him into her foolishness, and Lexi by Mia for using Pearl's name at the abortion clinic to hide her pregnancy. Also, before Elena leaves for New York to investigate Mia's past, she complains to Bill, claiming that Mia is trying to turn Izzy against her. However, Izzy and Elena's relationship was already fractured due to the fact that Elena never genuinely loved her. Actually, most of the irony includes Elena. She calls both Mia and Bibi terrible mothers, but later Izzy calls her terrible mother in front of the entire family. Also, after her whole mission to make Mia the sole villain, Bill tells her that she herself is the common denominator in all the mess that happened, which she is. She also blames Pearl for the drama between her son's trip and Moody, thinking it was Pearl who got pregnant when it was actually Lexi. Elena actually knows nothing about what's really going on with their family, but she constantly calls Mia and Bibi out of their names for their shortcomings. Speaking of Trip and Moody, this is the last of my favorite moments of irony. Raise your hand if you initially thought that Moody and Pearl were going to end up together by the end of the show. I sure did, based on their first interactions, but actually, Pearl ends up liking Trip. Moody doesn't figure this out until the last episode, but he was already getting too possessive of Pearl. He tries to discourage her from hanging out with either of his older siblings, gets all in his feelings when Pearl starts hanging out with Lexi regularly instead of him, showers her with gifts, expecting affection in return, and then when he finally does find out about her relationship with Trip, he calls her a slut. But the thing about Moody is that you initially think he's the biggest sweetheart in the world and that Trip is a player. Moody even said to Trip, you couldn't get a girl like Pearl in a million years meaning to suggest that Pearl belongs with guys like Moody and not like Trip. Now, Trip is a player, that's true, but he never disrespected Pearl, called her out of her name, or tried to control her. He was actually a good boyfriend. Moody, on the other hand, accuses Pearl of having no self-respect for dating Trip. This type of irony is called situational irony, because Moody, some of the other characters in the audience, would have never expected Moody, who they originally perceive as a softie, to be possessive and sexist. When you first meet Trip, you actually expect him to act that way. Now I wanna talk about three major themes in this show. The first theme that I want to talk about is security and perfection. The main thing that symbolizes this theme is the Richardson house. It's huge, it's beautiful, and just looking at it makes you go, whoa. <laughs> I guess you could say it's perfect, right? At the beginning, just seeing that house, you see a family inside it, and most would think they could do no wrong. When Pearl saw the house, her wheels began turning. Pearl, being in between living spaces for her entire life, just got her first taste of what security looks like. Notice how I said, looks like. On the outside, the house is a way out of Pearl's stress that comes with always moving around. And unfortunately, what she finds out about her father. On the inside, it is just as chaotic as Pearl's life. First, you've got Bill, 
the father who does absolutely nothing to preserve peace in the home. You've got Tripp and Moody, who both like the same girl, and the latter is kind of losing his mind with the former over it. You've got Izzy, who just feels completely unwanted and unloved. You've got Lexi, who was a racist with a black boyfriend, stole a black girl's essay to get into Yale, had an abortion and used the same girl's name to hide herself, and is ultimately about to explode from keeping in all these secrets while trying to live up to her mother's expectations to be a perfect golden child. And speaking of her mother, Elena acts nice, but she is quite rude sometimes and definitely vengeful and vindictive. But if there's anybody who loves perfection, it's Elena. Pay close attention to how she just says the word perfect a lot. Because Izzy dressed up in a dress she probably didn't like for a dance she originally didn't want to go to, Elena said she looked perfect. When she finally finished with the house's Christmas lights, she simply says, it's perfect. Now, I don't know if anybody else caught this, but when Pearl walked up to the house to return the keys to the duplex she and Mia were staying in, she first takes a good look at the house. One of the Christmas lights shorts out for a quick second. Look at that. The one thing that made Pearl think the Richardsons were a perfect family didn't look so perfect anymore. But what really made Elena lose her mind was the moment Lexi came clean about her abortion. She says to Elena, I'm not perfect. And immediately Elena screams back, yes, you are. And then all of the kids, with the exception of Izzy, who had just run away, burned the house to the ground deciding that they would all rather give up a luxurious lifestyle than become like their parents. Race, femininity, and motherhood. These three concepts are very important in relation to each other, so I'm going to talk about all three in the same section. Little Fires Everywhere is an incredible way to display the difference between white mothers and mothers of color. It also explores coming to terms with the dark side of womanhood. It starts when Elena and Mia discuss womanhood after book club one night. Mia talks about the difficulty for a lot of women to even look at their genitalia, let alone honor it. This conversation leads to a deeper one about Mia not being able to look at the darker parts of herself. Mia was disowned for her pregnancy, and on top of that, her relationship with their professor, Pauline. Not only that, but she has been hiding the fact that she was a surrogate and Pearl was not even supposed to be her child. These issues all unravel when Mia reveals to her coworker Bibi Chow that Elena's friend Linda has adopted her baby, whom she left at a fire station after being unable to feed her. To Linda, Mei Ling, whom she named Mirabelle, was an answer to her prayers after being completely unable to have children. But Bibi still regrets it after one year. She tells Mia that she still hears her child's cry. And although Mia tries to give her hope that she will be reunited with her baby, it's not easy. She is forced into a lose-lose situation since she is a woman of color, an immigrant, and a woman who left a child at a fire station. If she goes to any authority for help, they will not likely take kindly to her. The fear affects her emotions, her performance at work, and she even starts embezzling to pay for a child custody lawyer. This causes even more stress. Bibi even tells Mia, You said I'm still her mother. Now you find her, and I'm still not her mother. At the end of the show, after losing a custody battle with Linda and her husband, she resorts to taking a child out of their home. But out of fear of being deported, she is willing to break the law and risk being found anyway to be with her child again. Now let's talk about Linda, since she's important in this conflict too, right? While she and her husband have struggled with fertility and while she has miscarried, she has also had to watch all four of Elena's pregnancies, one after the other. 
At one point, Elena claims that she relates to Linda's pain. But Linda says, Elena, you have four healthy children that came to you easily that no one can ever take away from you. So don't tell me you know how I feel. But the thing about Linda that rightfully rubs a lot of people the wrong way is that she does a lot of racially sensitive things. Like for mailing or Mirabelle's birthday party, she gave out fortune cookies as party favors. This was called out in the courtroom and she kind of got flustered. Linda, while she may mean well and may be justified in not wanting a child to be taken from her, she's still unaware of how her privilege as a white woman makes it harder for Bibi to cope with her pain. Mia and Elena also have tension with each other over the subject of motherhood. When Elena finds that Mia is paying for Bibi's lawyer, she immediately points the finger and calls both women terrible mothers. After Elena says that good mothers make good choices, Mia shoots back. You didn't make good choices. You had good choices. Later, Elena becomes even angrier with Mia because of her daughters. Izzy starts to become more comfortable at Mia's place since she doesn't feel love from Elena. She also reluctantly cares for Lexi after her abortion, but Elena is not in town on this day. When she finally hears from Mia that Lexi was there recovering while Elena was investigating, it seems to drive her even crazier. Mia, even when she didn't want to, showed the kindness that Elena didn't. Elena, however, hated and resented Izzy, but still felt the need to regain control of their relationship since she was Izzy's mother. It took all the secrets coming out, Izzy already being long gone when Elena searched for her, and the house burning down for her to come to terms with their failures. Fire. Like I said in the intro, we can't talk about little fires everywhere without talking about fire. Like, literal fire. If you watch the show, you notice that things are always being set on fire in the show. First, you've got the opening credit visuals, where a whole bunch of objects are burning. But pay close attention to the objects. All of these are the same objects that you will see in the show. They're all symbols. For example, you have a bike to represent Moody's friendship with Pearl. You have the Richardson family portrait. You have Elena's elaborate schedule. A fortune cookie that Linda used as a party favor for Mei Ling's birthday. Tart and Keds that Elena and Izzy argue over. And finally, the house. The fact that these are all on fire foreshadowed the slow but sure disintegration of several relationships. Also, note that episode one is called The Spark. So you get the message about how it all started. In the first episode, Izzy sets her own hair on fire to get under Elena's skin. This is how their relationship starts to crumble. Mia shoots a picture of Elena's face seemingly in flames after they decide they are done with each other. Also, Tripp tells Moody to stop, drop, and roll while giving him advice about Pearl. So basically, he was telling Moody to take the stick out of his butt. But you get the point. Literal fires are constantly used to foreshadow more tension between your characters. At the end, when the house has gone to ashes, an officer tells Elena that the firefighters went in and saw little fires everywhere, which were an indicator that somebody intentionally burned the house down. Elena starts to think of the fire she has seen in the past several months, and she can't escape the truth about her part in them anymore. So she tells the officer that she burned the house down. Okay, that sure was a lot to unpack. So now it's time to close this episode. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. Now, there were a lot of spoilers in this episode, but if you still would like to watch the show for yourself, I encourage you to. I strongly encourage you to. 
Little Fires Everywhere is a Hulu original, and all eight episodes are available to stream. Also, feel free to visit my blog, follow me, and share your thoughts on things I didn't touch on. My handle is at k.a.r.blog on Instagram. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the KAR Recap. Subscribe to this podcast so that new episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. Hope you all have a great weekend and see you next time.